This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! It's Rog. Oh, or a version of me who's not been out of my apartment for the last six days with hair so long that my kids are convinced that my teenage curls are poised to grow back in. Oh, bless them. My beard, scratching it now. It's an NHL second round playoff length. Oh, and just when every major world football star is getting a big transfer to Team Bald, my hair's growing out. Yeah, Eden Hazard. Tony Marshall, Paul Pogba. Oh, all you really young listeners are like, who's Paul Pogba? Never heard of him. Well, he was Fred at Manchester United before there was a Fred. But I digress. This is the week we learn that bored footballers are able to call on the services of their insta-famous barbers. Oh, what do they become? They quickly become bald footballers. Yeah, enough about me. Forgive me for going all Joey Tribbiani on your asses for a second as I inquire. How you doing? Oh, dear GFOPs, let's celebrate. Let's raise a glass together. We've all made it to the end of another week of lockdown life. Oh, that's worth, well, it's worth everything right now. I'm sure you've had some ups. I'm sure you've had some downs. If there have been big downs, please note that is totally natural. It totally is. It's inevitable, really. In the surreal world, we're all living together, all living together, together apart. I mean, I, I'd be honest, I felt really glum yesterday, marking the opening day of a Major League Baseball season on which not a single ball was pitched. And not just any Major League Baseball season, but one which was universally heralded as inevitably culminating in Chicago White Sox World Series glory. Oh. Many of you will remember, you're no doubt thinking of it as I speak, that opening pitch of mine at Comiskey last summer, more innocent days. It was a fastball, if you don't remember it, straight down the middle, 102 miles an hour on the clock, I'm not boasting. For now, let me raise my Bud Fan Blood Fam to every single Major League Baseball player, every single Major League Baseball front and back office staff member, every single stadium worker, and most importantly, Every Major League Baseball fan. Oh, especially raise a glass to my friend, Joe Janiszewski of the Texas Rangers, the gent who played such a key role in FSG's Liverpool takeover. Joe is battling back from a bout of the Corona-Rony virus. I send him love and Godspeed. All right, you are listening to Chat Shit, Get Answered on WGFOP, The Bald, the show on which you phone in your questions and I... I'll talk about myself, really. Producer Jonah, play the sting. W-G-F-O-P. The bald. First question, please, Professor. Hi, Raj. My name is Rachel. I am a Spurs fan, and I'm from the Chicago area. I thought it was kind of cool that you also support the mediocrity that is Chicago sports. Which Premier League player... Would you compare Mitch Trubisky to, and which Premier League team would you compare the Chicago Bears to? Thank you. All the best. Bye. Oh, Rachel. In Chicago, that glorious city of my heart, 
Oh, why you got to do me like this? Make me think about Mitch Trubisky at the top of this podcast, or to give him his full name, Seattle Dragons Mitch Trubisky. Who is Premier League Trubes? Big draft, big bet, big expectations. In football terms, big transfer, total inability to deliver. My gut response, I've got to be honest, I'm not going to lie, was Moyes Keane. 30 million big bucks. And every time he comes onto the field, I yearn for his success. I really do. But just one goal in 22 appearances. He kind of just trots around aimlessly looking bewildered at this point. He's definitely a three-playing-out kind of gent. But you know what? I'm not going to do Moyes like that. I still believe he's going to come through. Nor you, poor Pepe. Not going to do Arsenal fans like that. Going to go Joe Linton. Nearly $50 million or the price of two Mitrovic's. One majestic Spurs slaying goal in 29 games. And just tons of LOLs. Oh, He's just kind of like a Brazilian Jossie. Which Premier League team though is the mighty Chicago Bears? That one hurts a little bit too. Because it's really a no-brainer. It's got to be Everton, that. I mean, both teams won it all in 1985-86 for the Bears Super Bowl. But the 85 season, Everton also winners of the top flight that year. They've been feasting off their receding glory ever since. Yet both teams are undoubtedly, inarguably, objectively still the best teams in the world. Next question, producer Jonah, and it's a beauty. Patrick Harrington here from Salt Lake City, Utah. I'm a Liverpool supporter, which has led me to move to the great city of Liverpool, currently living in Wavertree, part of the city. Well, sun is shining here, but this is just about 10 hours after Boris Johnson has announced pretty much a full lockdown of the UK. And Raj, this question is for you. As a native Liverpudlian, Scouts are born and bred. Your family's here. What is it like for you being an expat over in the United States, essentially watching and waiting to see what's going to be happening in your native country and your family here, just as I am doing uh, for you know with my family back in the United States? And also, what do you think the mood and the reception and the general feeling around this great city will be like the day that football is back? when we're allowed to go to our beloved Anfield and Goodison Park. Stay strong. Godspeed. Courage. Much love to you all. Hang on. Hang on. Let let, let me get this right, Patrick Harrington. Am I understanding this correctly, that your love of football in general, Liverpool Football Club in particular, compelled you to leave Salt Lake City, Utah, and move to live in Liverpool? culture shock much I, I can't think of two cities in the free world that could be more different all they kind of have in common is that they're named after bodies of water that they sit on the salt lake in salt lake city's case and liver meaning muddy pool i love them both salt lake and muddy pool because well one's got kyle beckerman's cologne faintly wafting over it at all points and the other is my place of birth. But wow, I, I, can I just say up top, I love your passion for football. I revere it. It's inspirational. And I'd love to know how you're experiencing it all, living in Wavertree. What a, what a beautiful part of the city. I have raised many, many pints of beer in many pubs in that neighbourhood. Remarkable times, which I believe you're having. But I will say, 
a fish out of water Netflix series is to be made of your life in Liverpool, one that will make, oh, well, Tiger King look like C-SPAN, baby. Your question has two parts. Going to answer them both. What is it like to be an expat for me watching and waiting? It's been emotionally difficult, to be honest, not just my family, but everyone in Britain, because the entire nation reading the newspapers, following the media, the British media, it feels like it's a week behind America in terms of the impact of the virus and, and the messaging over there from the government. Let's just say it's been it's been fairly chaotic. And just the act of trying to tell my family and friends what's about to hit them without panicking them, that's the balance I've been trying to hit, has been really, really, really emotionally tough for me. I'm sure it's been, if you ask my poor mum, really emotionally tough for her but from a footballing perspective you know I've joked that if Liverpool are finally awarded this league title I do believe that they deserve to be candid after dreaming of it for 30 years not because they've dreamt of it for 30 years because if that's all it took Everton would be perpetual champions but because my god the journey they've walked this season has just been superlative but if it if they did get the trophy award a good job trying to maintain social distancing protocols because that city gonna go on the lash for the ages yeah i love to the notion of that mm, first game back at anfield and, and at goodison it's gonna be at both places i mean that is a that is a sustaining image just those places full again as spiritual on that opening day as any great church but i'm not gonna lie to you though patrick Football with crowds, sports with crowds, feels like a long, long way away from where we are now. Just just watching the messaging that Premier League executives have been briefing the media with as this week's closed. Two weeks ago, I mean, it feels months ago, but the hypothetical return date after a Premier League meeting was floated as April the 30th. That now seems, what, I mean, it felt like it then, a naive and optimistic marker, one that's going to shift and shift and I do fear shift some more to use the words of of Dr Fauci you don't make the timeline the virus makes the timeline and Premier League football I mean global football powers in general they used to being omnipotent you know they dictate what's going to happen when and why and all they expect is the money to flow in in return but more and more they are realizing how we're all equal in the wake of this challenge and that's where we are as we pod a battle between salvaging this season and a growing fear amongst football's administrators as England begins to grapple with the White Walkers that they're going to look like, quote, petulant children debating the game while the rest of the nation's got more primal concerns. Having said that, you are in one of the single greatest cities in the world right now, Patrick. And I raise, I do, I raise my bud to you, mate. Liverpool, you really are. When you look at that city's history, that living breathing history that flows through Liverpool's but the people that live there are tenacious courageous and looking out to the horizon looking out beyond the Mersey always dreaming of future possibilities to come and now a mid-show break support for our programming is brought to you by the men and blazers bald mart visit meninblazers.com for the latest in books and kitchen appliances we now return to The Raven's Load, a community mailbag program already in progress at your home for suboptimal entertainment, WGFOP. Oh, thank you, Ryan Grover, from Minneapolis, Minnesota. I love this new addition to Chat Shit Get Answered so much. Thanks to you, Ryan Grover, in my imagination, 
I'm tasting a Juicy Lucy, the finest Juicy Lucy, as I answer this next question. And it's magnificent. I should also thank Trey Jones for our killer sting. Your spirit of creativity inspires me. Send us your jingles, people, for WGFOP The Ball. Paint this show as real. And remember, you're listening to Chat Shit Get Answered. Call us on 646-450-9472. Next batter up. Hey, Rog. Kevin in Atlanta. Ardent Spurs and, more importantly, Atlanta United fan. Watching the English game and agree that it is complete crap, but one thing that does shine through is just how much the FA Cup meant to the English people, something that seems to have dwindled over the past decade, which coincides with a lot of Americans actually becoming more aware of the Premier League. And so my question is, what are some creative ways that the FA can make the Cup more important? Thanks and stay healthy. Oh, Kevin, you had to go there. The English game on Netflix should have been so damn good. I I, I miss Downton Abbey so very much, as they'd say on Downton Abbey. I miss it so very much, even though they killed off Isis the dog without ever really telling us why. I miss Mrs. Pat Moore the most. I miss Thomas, oh, the footman, an Everton fan in real life. What a guest he was. GFOP, right? God, I just had to Google my Downton Abbey to English Premier League converter that I wrote for Grantland back in 2013. It's got Daisy as Norwich City. Oh, bless them both. But the English game, Julian Fellow's new series in which he kind of fetishizes the English industrial north of the late last century. Unwatchable treacle. The FA Cup, though, happy to talk about that. Wow. In a way... Let's be honest, not too dissimilar to Downton Abbey. One is a testament to fading English glory in which the rich and the poor are flung together amidst the struggle to adapt to modernity. And the other was a much-watched PBS period drama. Back in more innocent days, when I was a kid, I want you to know, though, as you write, FA Cup final day oh, was just... One of the greats up there, I guess, with Wimbledon final, big rugby final. There was some bizarre boat race between Oxford and Cambridge that we honestly didn't give a crap about up north in Liverpool. But the FA Cup was founded back in 1871 when FA Secretary Charles Alcock envisioned the tournament in, quote, which all clubs belonging to the association should be invited to compete. Early winners thus included such fit-for-comic-book-sounding teams as Royal Engineers. Clapham Rovers. Yeah, and the English game's old Etonians. That cup thrived during English football's more insular years. To be honest, those insular years stretch back as recently as the 1990s. Football was less global and the FA Cup, it really, really mattered. Much of it due to the fact that the final played amidst the crumbling grandeur of old Wembley. It's one of the only football matches to be broadcast live on national television. I mean, I'm laughing as I say this, but yes, football was rarely, rarely broadcast live in England. Teams were worried people would stop going to games live. We've got to get the bums on seats, lads. We need the bums on the seats. A reality was just automatically guaranteed the matchup to be considered the biggest game of the season. And that's how it felt when I was a kid. You know, you'd watch along with the rest of the voracious British public. We feasted on every single detail. I mean, it was a whole day of broadcast. Even the team's early morning coach crawl from their crappy hotel, wherever the hell it was, 
in the London suburbs to Wembley Stadium through the grimy streets of London. That was broadcast live. Helicopters would flatten a bit. They'd commentate and the coaches making steady progress through the traffic, past the chimneys, past the chimney sweeps who are waving their brushes at the team bus. And it all felt as grand and magnificent as the Duke of Wellington's army victoriously marching towards San Sebastian. There was just a, a remarkable democratic value at the core of the tournament. And you know what happens to democracy in football? It leads to its undoing because just the notion that the elite in the third round would be pitched against non-league foes now. What? Mudfield pitches? Leg-breaking defenders? We're not going to go and have our players go to those locker rooms. We're freezing cold showers. We don't do dingy. So the qualities of romance, the qualities of magic, the ones kind of thrived in the FA Cup. They stood no chance in the gluttonous era of Premier League football, in which, I mean, look at it, the lure of Champions League qualification, the the kind of related television revenue, the sponsorship, the branding opportunities that the Champions League brings, that, that creates a reality in which fourth place or fifth place in this season's journey feels more, quote, trophy-like, to use Arsene Wenger's words, than a real trophy. The FA Cup trophy. Just look at the numbers. Champions League winners get $21 million. Premier League winners get $45 million. The FA Cup. Coins. Coins. $4.5 million. Enough money to buy a 16th of a Christian Pulisic. In Downton Abbey terms, the FA Cup had become the Lady Edith. Just rejected and relegated. A red-headed stepchild left to flounder. Like that other black sheep trophy, the Carabao Cup, two pieces of flapping dead skin. Shorn of its luster, the cup kind of limps along. Premier League teams patronise tinier foes, eager for a payday at the gate, sending out reserve 11s to win. As I think about that, I've just made Everton sound like a tiny team playing against Liverpool's under 23. Do we win that game? I don't remember. Average attendance slumped across the board. Crowds, even at non-league venues, have dropped. And just so many solutions have been flung in the name of reinvention. Maybe Premier League teams should come in at a later stage. Maybe a Champions League place should be on offer for the winner. That would change everything. That really would. To me, I'd love to turn the league into a mid-season tournament that would be played. Why not play in the United States? Just bring everybody over after the winter break for one whole month. Play it out. Almost like March Madness on these shores. Oh, it would be magnificent having said that while it's crap on tv and it means very little from a footballing perspective right now relatively the fa cup final is still a magnificent day out for fans attending wembley i would i'll say this i would bite your arm off for everton to win an fa cup i really would a chance to make memories just a chance to savor to revel, to celebrate communally. When Everton last got to a Wembley semi-final, 2012, I charged over from the United States. I did. Bang my two eldest kids, who were like five and seven maybe at that time, uh, onto a flight. Met my mate Jamie on the way to the stadium, who you heard on the pod on Wednesday. I mean, Everton-Liverpool at Wembley. Who scored first? Of course Everton did. And of course Liverpool came back from behind to win 2-1. A mighty Tim Cahill. God love you. He understood our pain. 
At the final whistle, he could only mutter, Oh, there are no words to express how sad we are for the fans. I left Wembley that day and was crushed. I was swept along into a London paved with scousers. And along the way, I remember encountering a blues fan who was selling t-shirts that were proclaiming Everton, bitter, twisted and proud. Everton, bitter, twisted and proud. And I said to him, what, what, what made you motivated to prepare such bloody pessimistic shirts ahead of the game? And he just laughed, flung his cigarette on the floor, shook his head and said to me, to win a trophy now feels almost impossible. Getting this far should be celebrated. And I loved it. He was right. I mean, he did add with words which captured just how much an FA Cup win would have truly meant for the club and its fans and my kids and me. He said, being a lifelong Evertonian is to have experienced years of disappointment and yearning. He actually said, yearning, five syllables, yearning, in which the actual moments of glory are really fleeting. I'll lift my spirits and play the sting, producer Jonah. W-G-F-O-P, the bald. Next question. Hello, I'm Elba, a Chelsea fan from Seattle. My question is, how these hard times make you think about what it means to be a good person? And if so, who do you look up to to be a better person? Not just a more creative person, but someone who could contribute good to the world. Courage. Big love for me and everyone at Men in Blazers to oh, all of you in Seattle, all of you in the great state of Washington. I know just how hard your state has been hit right now. I adore I'm revere it. I'm thinking about it constantly. I was actually, I've actually started work on a small project right now to raise money for Seattle Food Banks. More on that next week. But to your question, which is a great one, I've thought so much about it this week. As many of you know, I've been watching Band of Brothers every night on HBO with my kids. I'm trying to show them the spirit of goodness in the world and, most importantly, the classic American spirit of the tenacious, self-sacrificing for the global good style of leadership that drew me to America in the first place and that I believe this country can be showing more of. Uh, You know, I read a lot about the Soldiers of Easy Company this week and I love this quote from Major Richard Winters. Many of you who watch the series will know him as Damian Lewis, the actor who plays him. Let's just say, if there is a star of Band of Brothers, Major Richard Winters is it. And he was asked if he sees himself as a hero for his actions in Europe after D-Day. And I love this quote because I think it's really meaningful. He said, I cherish the memories of a question my grandson asked me the other day. He said, Grandpa, were you a hero in the war? And I said, no. But I served in a company of heroes. I'm really inspired by that kind of humility and leadership. We need it so badly right now. I truly believe that in this moment, in moments of crisis, the truth of human beings is revealed. Oprah once said, when people become famous, their true nature is revealed. To me, that times a thousand for national global emergencies. The true face of individuals, the true face of organisations, that is what we are seeing now. And there was a doctor this week, a GFOP, Mark Lewis, who tweeted us, I think yesterday, about how our crap pods are bringing him joy. 
in the ER right now. He said the tale of the Everton locker room made me laugh so hard that my medical co-workers are currently triaging me for respiratory distress. And I wrote back to him. I said, what I really feel is that he, and I know so many of you feel the same, GFOPs, that he and his fellow American medical professionals, the doctors, the nurses, the hospital workers of every bloody kind, those are our true heroes right now. And it is true. It is true. Anyone, Albert, who is consistently, because it is about consistency, anyone who's consistently putting these values into action right now, selflessness, service, empathy, tenacity, compassion, and above all, love. Those are the ones that I draw strength from. Optimism from. Uh, I really true inspiration. Jurgen Klopp. I draw so much inspiration from him. What he said over the past week. God, one incredible, almost a sermon. They are sermons. Yes, I'm an Everton fan. Remember this, as I say, even this means even more because I am an Everton fan. But when Liverpool released a video of him thanking British health workers for their service, I am a blue, but I'm not going to lie. I teared up. I teared up watching him, listening to him, thinking about what he was saying. And again, this morning, hearing him say this. In the future, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, if we look back, um, and we will look back, and if then the conclusion or the or the, the the resume would be, this was the mo that was the period where the world showed the biggest solidarity, the biggest love, the biggest friendship, whatever. Um, that would be great. That would be really great. This is truth. These are words to live by. Another one, probably more than anyone right now that I'm inspired by, Albert. It's Jose Andres, Spanish-American chef, restaurateur, Barcelona fan, I believe. We've been trying to work out a date to film together for ages. And part of the challenge is he's working so bloody hard saving lives with World Central Kitchen. It's a non-profit that he formed, founded, organises, pours his heart into since 2010. I think it was founded after he got a first-hand look at the devastation wrought by the earthquake in Haiti and watching him now just meeting any disaster by charging right into its face be it a natural disaster or a man-made disaster I mean you will have seen him serve millions of meals in Puerto Rico after the earthquake and now it just seems to be everywhere everywhere in the United States setting up mobile kitchens working out the most creative, the most ingenious solutions to provide meals for those in need, for those in danger, especially for first responders right now. Dude is conjuring masks where no one else can find them. To me, Jose Andres is a true humanitarian. I read an interview with him last week where he talked about what motivates him, and I'll leave you with this. Because he talked about how his life changed when he first read the John Steinbeck quote. I think it's from The Grapes of Wrath. Wherever there is a fight, where hungry people will need to eat, I will be there. And that's it. That's what he does. That's what he, that's what he believes. And then he turns that belief into action. He said, I don't know what I was drinking when I first read that phrase. 
But if one day I ever get a tattoo, it will be that phrase and I'll probably have it tattooed across my forehead. He says, I'm going through a reckoning, not with who I am, but in what I do. This is, this is amazing. This is amazing. He said, I am going through a reckoning. You know, I am my wife. I am my daughters. I am my cooks. I am my chefs. I am my community. And I think everyone should be saying, I am them. God, I love that. That is a creed. Josie Andres, I am them that we should all be living by. So, Albert, I would say dig deep into your values, articulate them, and then act on them. Be like that guy, Josie Andres, not like Rog, and the world will be a better place. That's it for this edition of Chat Shit Get Answered. You can call your questions to us on the WGFOP, the Balds Hotline. You know it. You know the number. 646-450-9472. 646-450-9472. And we'll answer them when we're back on Monday. Know that we love you. That you inspire us. Your calls, your emails, your every tweet give us life. And we'll never take that for granted. When we're out of this, we will never, never, never. I'm going to end with a poem that sums up best the values we try and live by at Men in Blaze. It's it's by Philip Larkin. He's a bit of a weird man, he was. He was really a weird man. He wrote several poems of great beauty, however. This one, many of you will know because we mentioned it a load before. Stick around to the end of it because the end is really the everything in this poem. And it's called The Mower. The mower stalled, twice, kneeling, found the hedgehog jammed up against the blades, killed. It had been in the long grass, seen it before, and even fed it once, now had mauled its unobtrusive world unmendably. Burial was no help. Next morning, I got up, and it did not. The first day after a death, the new absence is always the same. We should be careful of each other. We should be kind. While there is still time. We'll speak to you Monday. Be safe. Be strong. Be healthy. Courage. <laughs>